pastor called and just said, you know, the Lord got anything on your mind? And actually, um, he did. This week, we got to go to family camp, and it was a blessing to be up there. Our primary reason to go, even though we've gone in the past, uh, but of course, this year, we were extra motivated to get up there because we wanted to see Adam and uh, spend a few days with him and uh, just get to see how he's doing working up at the ranch. And he's doing great. Uh, good report. We got to talk to the Carlsons a little bit. They gave a very positive report about him and just the work that he's doing. So we were encouraged and good to see him. We got out of the vehicle, and I saw him walking towards us, and I looked at Sony, and I said, I think he's even more taller than I am. I mean, this is just getting bad, and he probably is a good three inches taller than me now, and so I'm really getting upset about it, and uh, I made sure we got on the basketball court, and I tried to still prove my dominance with him, and uh, I didn't actually, <laughs> so they're getting better at that too. But anyways, it was, it's good to see him. It's good to see uh, Pastor Miller from uh, Northland Baptist up there in Flagstaff was the preacher for the week. He preached some really good messages. Uh, Brother Troy did some sessions on parenting, which was really good. So anyways, it was a blessing to be up there and uh, a little bit cooler weather. It was hotter than they've had most of the summer. It was in the 90s. And so, uh, of course, we were like, we'll take 90s over 112, 113, whatever you guys had down here. But uh, it was pleasant. And uh, while I was up there, uh, of course, the preaching was good, but just even doing some morning devotions, I was reading through uh, the book of Lamentations, which I don't know how many of you have maybe read the book of Lamentations any time recently, but I just started reading through. For whatever reason, it's just kind of where the Lord, I just said, I want to read a book I haven't read in a while, and this was the first one I came to, and I thought, all right, I'm going to start reading this book and just see what, what the Lord has in it. And the Lord just just kind of stirred my heart a little bit about what Jeremiah is is going through here and what his uh, burden is in the book of Lamentations. So this morning, we're not going to do an overview of the whole book. We're not going to be exhaustive in it um, because I haven't really taken enough time to prepare to really get into a lot of the meat of the book. But I just want to, I'm going to share with you some thoughts that uh, the Lord just gave to me. And uh, really, it caused me just to think a little bit about uh, the country that we live in. And uh, I'll say this up front. Uh, you know, sometimes people try to find ways to find things within Scripture that reference the United States of America. I don't know if you've ever talked to anybody like that, but they'll try to find verses and say, oh, that's the United States. Look, I don't personally think the United States of America is prophesied, talked about, anything in Scripture. I don't, I don't think the United States of America is in the Word of God, specifically with prophecy or specifically with, I, I just, I can't find too much to support that. Um, you know, they find verses that mention the word eagle, and they're like, eagle, the symbol of the United States, you know, and people will kind of draw out some of this stuff. But it's not, it's not far-fetched, I think, to read the book of Lamentations and see a model of a nation and how they progressed and went through so much difficulty and see how that also can be a model for other nations that would go through the same thing. And I think we as a country could look at what happened to Israel and what Jeremiah is saying in Lamentations and say, boy, I see the same thing happening in our country. And, 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 and my thought was, what's my heart towards it like Jeremiah's heart is towards the nation of Israel? And so he is speaking about Israel here. He is not prophesying or talking about a future nation or anything like that. He's talking specifically about the nation of Israel and what they're going through. And really, the core that kind of got to me is, is uh, there's a question that is asked in chapter 1 that we're going to look at. 
I don't know about you, but there's something about questions. And we've talked about this before, but how many of you, your kids have asked you a really kind of crazy question that's caused you to think? Anybody have a, a question your kids have ever asked you that caused you to pause? And like, you know, hey, mom and dad, why do we have belly buttons? That's going to take me a little while to try to explain. And really, honestly, I, I don't know. There's a lot that I just say because God wanted to. I mean, I don't know. You know, you know, questions like that. But there's something about questions that are meant to be thought-provoking. And, and I started thinking about in Scripture, there are dozens and dozens of questions that are thought-provoking questions that uh, ought to, you know, when you read it, all of a sudden it, it, should, it causes you in some ways to, to contemplate and to think and to, uh, to maybe analyze a little bit more. Um, and so before I get into Lamentations 1, I was just going to, I want to just take a moment and think about some questions in Scripture that cause us to think. If you were to think about a, a question in Scripture, what comes to mind? What's a question that you know is asked in Scripture uh, that causes you to think a little bit. Anything come to mind? Hey, that's a good one. That's Romans 6, I believe. Romans 6. Go ahead, Brother Kevin. Where art thou? That's in Genesis 3.9. That's one of the ones I have written down. Where art thou? Go ahead, Brother Rusty. Who will go for us? That's, that's the Isaiah? Yeah, Isaiah 6. I had that one written down too. What else comes before? Even though... Uh, Adam, where art thou? What comes before that? That's a question that oftentimes we preach about in Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say that? Genesis 3, 3, 1. What else? What, what other questions come to mind? <clears throat> Pastor. That's a good one. That's with Abraham, I believe. Yep. Yep. Yannick. All right. That's a good one. <laughs> uh, go ahead, Brother Kevin. Yeah, that's good. What else? See, I love, for whatever reason, the Lord was actually just laying on my heart. I just started thinking about what are some questions. In and when you start thinking about these questions, they, they start making you kind of think a little bit. I, I, what else? What else comes to mind from Scripture? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Good. What else? There's a, there's a few more I had in the New Testament. The one where Jesus himself says, whom think ye that I am? Who do you think I am? Yes. Yes. And, and he also said, um, I'm paraphrasing it, but like, what shall I do with him? I mean, what am I to do with Christ? What, what should I do in this situation? What about John chapter 3? It's a pretty important question that's asked of Jesus. How can a man be born again? Um, there, there's a lot of questions. You guys pretty much hit all the ones. I was even thinking of David. Is there not a cause? You know, just these probing questions that, that are asked in Scripture. And there's a question that is asked here in Lamentations chapter 1. Look at verse number 12. And then we'll go back and look at why is he saying this. But in Lamentations 1.12, Jeremiah says this, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Is it nothing to you, all, that, all ye that pass by? Now, what is he saying? What is to you? Is it nothing? Is it nothing about what? So let's look at these first 11 verses and look at what is Saul, uh, Jeremiah talking about here 
that would cause him to ask this question of his fellow people. Is it nothing to you all that pass by? Basically, are you able to walk by all that's going on and nothing is stirred? Nothing uh, is pricking your heart. Nothing matters. You can just walk through these things and it doesn't bother you as it is bothering Jeremiah, as it is burdening uh, Jeremiah. And so let's read, I'm going to read these first 11 verses and give us some context as to why he's asking this question. Jeremiah says this, How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How is she become as a widow? She was that great among the nations and princess among the provinces. How is she become tributary? She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on, the, on her cheeks. Among all her lovers she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction. And because of great servitude, she dwelleth among the heathen, she findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. The ways of Zion do mourn, because none come to the solemn feasts. All her gates are desolate, her priests sigh, her virgins are afflicted, and she is in bitterness. Her adversaries are the chief, her enemies prosper. For the Lord hath afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children are gone into captivity before the enemy." And from the daughter of Zion, all her beauty is departed. Her princes are become like hearts that find no pasture, and they are gone without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembered in the days of her affliction and of all her miseries, all her pleasant things that she had in the days of old, when her people fell into the hand of the enemy and none did help her. The adversary saw her and did mock at her Sabbaths. Jerusalem hath grievously sinned, therefore she is removed. All that honored her despise her, because they have seen her nakedness. Yea, she sigheth and turneth backward. Her filthiness is in her skirts. She remembereth not her last end. Therefore she came down wonderfully. She had no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy hath magnified himself. The adversary hath spread out his hand upon all her pleasant things. For, for she hath seen that the heathen entered into her sanctuary, whom thou didst command that they should not enter into thy congregation." All her people sigh. They seek bread. They have given their pleasant things for meat to relieve the soul. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am become vile. Is it nothing to you all that pass by? Again, you know, Jeremiah is seeing his people. Jeremiah was the prophet that was, was uh, in place at the time that God allowed his people to be drawn into captivity. Jeremiah is the one that witnessed this huge travail. This, this monumentous moment in the history of Israel of them being removed from their land, removed from their temple, and, and being taken into captivity because of their sin. This was something that was prophesied that was going to happen. They knew this was going to happen. And Jeremiah here, they call him the weeping prophet because Jeremiah was known for being uh, heavy-hearted, very sorrowful, known for weeping and tears for his nation. And he begins here to lay out the word lamentations, obviously to lament means to be sorrowful. Um, this book is really dedicated to Jeremiah laying out his heart for his people. And in some ways, he's even laying out at the heart for himself. He calls out his own transgression. He calls out his own affliction. He calls out his own uh, um, issues before the Lord as, as to represent what his people are going through and to call upon God during this time. Again, we could 
maybe down the road, you know, the Lord may lead to do a full study of the book of Lamentations. But again, I just couldn't help but reading this and thinking about words such as this. How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? Think about what Jeremiah is looking at. Jeremiah is looking out over this land that God gave to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to all these different generations and how the land was full for Israel. The land was plentiful. The land was was rich and, and bountiful and had all these things. And it was full of people and feasts and in Passovers and in the in the temple and doing all the things. And now he's looking at and it's desolate. It's empty. They're, they're, they're taken away. They're now in the midst of heathens who are forcing them to do other rituals or other traditions or uh, uh, taking away their feasts and the things that they were used to doing as a nation. He says, how has she become as a widow? She that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces, how is she become tributary? Basically said she's become meaningless. Israel at this point has become meaningless. They're no longer an influence. They're no longer this great nation. They're no longer this great people. They're just this solitary, uh, desolate place. And 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 again, I can't help but think about where our nation is going, this whole debate that is going on just about uh, from an educational standpoint about the history of our nation and what do we refer to as the history of our nation. We are more and more getting to the point to remove anything that would possibly reference a God-like influence, a providential sovereign influence on our nation. We're going more and more. Again, I'm not going to get into critical race theory and all this stuff, but there is a devilish agenda behind that that more and more gets you to stop thinking about a nation that was founded on godly principles and to now make you think that it's on an earthly, devilish, sensual-type philosophy of why this nation was started. That, 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 that's at the core of what is being taught, is to remove any godly influence that happened in our nation. And we are quickly becoming a place that will become solitary of godly influence. We will become a widow to the basic principles that founded America. That's what we're moving towards. And there's a huge agenda to do that. To where we as Christians can look out over the land and see a place of desolation. Okay, who cares about big cities and great technology and money and all this stuff? We will look out at a place of desolate spirituality, which is what Israel became. Israel no longer represented the nation of God. They no longer represented this, this nation that stood on uh, stood for God, that was led by God, that, that stood for what was right. They were desolate of that. And again, you can go through the, 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 these verses and just look at what, uh, how he describes it. I've got a few points this morning I just jotted down real quick just to give us some thoughts. And again, this isn't going to be exhaustive, uh, but just to give us maybe a little bit of a, an outline here of just this first chapter, and then we'll look at a, a couple verses in chapter 3 uh, to close out this morning. But here's just a couple thoughts. Notice the fall of a great nation. We've already been talking about that here. But notice the fall of this great nation. Uh, there he said it in verse number 1, how doth this city sit so solitary? It was full of people. He, he describes it with a few different things. He says in verse number 2, she weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. You know what the thought is of tears are on her cheeks? Is that she's never stopped she can't stop crying. She can't stop weeping. You know, have you ever seen that with your kids where something hurts really bad or they're just really sorrowful about something and they're crying and you're trying to dry their tears, but they just keep crying and you just can't seem to dry those tears? It just keeps sitting on their cheeks. 
because they're so sorrowful or something hurts so much and they're just crying so hard. You're like trying to comfort them and you're trying to dry off the cheeks, but you can't. Because there's so much sorrow, there's so much pain that you can't dry it. There's no comfort. Jeremiah is saying there is no comfort. He even says it in that next line. Among all her lovers, she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. All the people that potentially would have supported Israel in the past or been allies to Israel are now turned their backs on Israel. They've seen, them, seen Israel taken into captivity and they said, eh, we have nothing to do with you any longer. No comfort, no friends. He says there in verse number three, Judah's gone into captivity because of affliction, because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. You know, I don't know what really he means by he findeth no rest. Potentially in captivity, they're constantly getting moved around. Potentially in captivity, they're constantly being moved into all sorts of different servitude and hard labor and all sorts of things that they just can't really get to a point where they can rest and find peace and, and settle maybe as families and as a nation. No, no, no. They're just getting jumbled around and moved around to where there is no rest. It says in verse 4, the ways of Zion do mourn because none come to the solemn feasts. All her gates are desolate, her priests sigh, her virgins are afflicted, she's in bitterness. He basically is saying uh, there's, there, there, there's no worship. There's no uh, 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 church together. They're scattered. There's no rest. They're not even able to meet together to have their feast. They're not able to meet together. And the priests are sighing. The priests are, are sorrowful because they, they're, they're not... Uh, uh, accomplishing what they're meant to accomplish. This great nation in the fall uh, that came upon them, this captivity. Secondly, you notice the failure that caused the fall. The failure that caused it. Look in verse number five. He says, her adversaries are the chief. Her enemies prosper for the Lord hath afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. The multitude of her transgressions. Her children are gone into captivity before the enemy. In verse number 8, he says, Jerusalem hath grievously sinned, therefore she is removed. All that honored her despise her, because they have seen her nakedness. Yea, she sigheth and turneth backward. The failure was because of sin. These great transgressions, they, she grievously sinned. Again, I can't help but think about a nation that we live in right now that is embroiled in ongoing morality and spiritual nakedness, and, and darkness, and evil. Uh, it, it's, it, again, we could spend all day describing it. We don't really need to because we all know it. But why is it hard to think that there won't come a point in time where God would follow the model of blessing a nation? Has he blessed America? We would all say, of course he has. He deserves all the glory and all the credit for what we get to enjoy today, for freedoms and for the country that was founded here. It's all to his glory. And he has every right to do to America what he did to Israel. Turn us captive to our enemies. Remove and make it desolate. Remove all the prosperity. Remove all the rest and all the peace. You know, we get to live a pretty restful, peaceful life here in America. We really do. That could be removed. That's what happened in Jeremiah. Jeremiah, Jeremiah is watching his country, his nation, uh, be uh, picked apart and, and desolated but it's because of their own sin. It's because of their own wickedness. I wonder how many Christians 
uh, would be willing to sit down like Jeremiah and admit that our country is going this way in large part because of us. What are we doing as Christians? What's our part? Jeremiah lumped himself into this. You could read it in here later. He talks about how this is on him as well. He wasn't standing to the side saying, well, it's all you guys. I did everything right. Jeremiah said, I'm part of this. Verse number eight, uh, to me, it implies also that the people began to see their hypocrisy. When he says uh, there she's removed, all that honor her, honored her despised her because they have seen her nakedness. Yea, she sigheth and turneth backward. It's almost like they used to honor her and now they despise her because all of a sudden they see this nakedness and they see this rot that had existed in the nation. And now it's exposed and they're like, no more honor is due to you. Hypocrites. People that have, have turned away from what they said they were. We're the nation of God, and yet they followed heathens, and they followed uh, false gods and false idols, and they built groves, and they complained, and they murmured, and they followed after all the heathen ways, and yet claimed to be the nation of God. And now they look at them and say, yeah, you're not any better than us. The failure of the nation. And then in verses 12 to 22, and again, we won't read all this because I don't think we'll have time uh, to dig into it, uh, but notice the fervor of sorrow. The sorrow that is given here by Jeremiah. He starts it there in verse 12 with this question. Is it nothing to you all that pass by? He's laying out here, look at our nation, look at our country, and all you Israelites, all you uh, uh, Jewish uh, uh, kinfolk, as you walk by and pass through now this new land that you live in and these new homes and this new servitude, do you not walk by in this and does nothing happen to you? Is nothing impressed upon you is nothing uh, convicting to you he says behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow which is done unto me wherewith the lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger jeremiah basically says do any of you have any sorrow like i have for our country do any of you have sorrow for the sin that has caused this for the captivity that's become us any of you uh, burdened with the sorrow that's like unto mine and he goes down, verse 13, from above hath he sent fire into my bones. Verse 14, the yoke of my transgression is bound by his hand. He hath made my strength to fall. The Lord hath delivered me into their hands from whom I am not able to rise up. He goes on to, again, just kind of lay out. Verse 20, behold, O Lord, for I am in distress. My bowels are troubled. Mine heart is turned within me, for I have grievously rebelled. Abroad the, uh, abroad the sword bereaveth. At home there is as death. They have heard that I sigh. There is none to comfort me. Again, this is Jeremiah just laying out his sorrow for his country. The pain and the burden that is upon him. That, that in his, as he is expressing it, that the Lord has allowed to be afflicted upon him, this sorrow. And again, I, could, I just couldn't help but ask myself, is it nothing to you, Adam? That passes by within your own country. Is it nothing to you to see that lost souls every single day are going to hell? Is it nothing to you to pass by that more and more souls are falling for lies and for, uh, for falsehoods? Is it nothing to you uh, that uh, uh, you're cold-hearted about the Word of God? Is it nothing to you that you lack a prayer life? Is it nothing to you? You know, all these things you could ask yourself. Is it nothing to you as you pass by in your life to see what is going around 
uh, around you and going on in your own country, in your own neighborhoods, in your own communities, in your own church potentially? Is it nothing to you that you just simply pass by and live life and deal with what's around you? And that's what I began to just ask myself. What kind of burden do I have? Uh, you know, again, the same question that Jeremiah asked his own people, what kind of sorrow do we have? And I'm not saying we walk around in a, a big sorrow fit. We ought to live joyfully. We ought to live uh, gratefully for what God has given us. And, and, and that's obvious. But again, what kind of burden do we have for the people that are around us? And then lastly, look at this in chapter number three. There's a lot that can be read leading up to this. Again, you know, I, I, I admit that there's a lot more context we could try to dig out of this. Um, but in chapter 3, you, you see th- this prophet Jeremiah. He's, again, talking about this affliction. He's talking about uh, um, how he cries and shouts and, and all these different things. And then he gets to about the middle of this chapter, or about a third of the way in here. Look at verse number 21. <clears throat> Well, let me go back a couple more. Uh, Verse 18, And I said, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord, remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. And he goes on. But those verses bring some comfort. Jeremiah is, is sorrowful and he's, and he's weary about all the things going on in his country. And yet he comes here and he says, yet there is hope. You notice the faith of hope that he has here. The faith and, and the hope of the Lord. He's basically saying, hey, look, we're not dead, though. I mean, we could be consumed. We could have just been wiped off the face of the earth. We could have just been destroyed as a people. But God didn't, didn't desire for that. God has a plan. And he knows. He says, we can wait for the salvation of the Lord. There will come a point in time where God will save us out of this. And God will relieve us of this pain and of this tribulation. And God will uh, renew his mercies. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So Jeremiah then reflects and, 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 and remembers the hope that he has in the Lord. And I thought the same thing. Again, as I was reading this, I thought, you know, all the things that, again, we can cry and complain about, all the trouble that's around us and all the things, we can be burdened for it. But we also should, should remember that God is faithful and God can do a lot of amazing, great things. And he desires to use us to do that. And so, um, you know, I started thinking, Lord, just what, what's, what are small things that I can do? Or what are, what are the little things that I can do to try to share a burden or do something to influence uh, what is around me? But ultimately, we know that the day of salvation is coming. One day we know we're raptured out of here. We know one day we'll be with the Lord. We know that there's hope for us. We will not, if, if, if something happens to our country that it just goes, you know, much further than what it's already doing, we still will have hope that God will deliver and God will still be faithful through all of it. And that's what Jeremiah ultimately reflected on. Yes, he was sorrowful. Yes, he was burdened. It was not a good time for his people, but he remembered that God was still merciful, God was still faithful, and that God would deliver. 
So again, just questions in the Bible that maybe get us to think. And this just kind of stuck out for me. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? And it just kind of convicted me a little bit. As I pass by in my life, what, what bothers me? What burdens me? What brings conviction? What brings maybe a little bit of sorrow or pity for the world that's around me as I walk through it and as I, as I live my life? Is it nothing to us? Has it become so mundane? Uh, the things that we just take for granted or maybe that are just going on and we just say, yeah, what can I do about it anyway? So we just kind of pass by. And so maybe today, you know, it's a probing thought for you too, just to ask, is it nothing to you, all you that pass by? What does it mean to you as we live and we labor where God has put us? And so that's what we have this morning. Uh, it's an, an encouraging book to read. I know it seems sorrowful, but um, it's encouraging to see uh, Jeremiah's burden for his people and ultimately his reliance on the Lord and his hope for the Lord's faithfulness. And we should have the same uh, this morning. Amen.